to the Plus Size Traveler podcast. This is the first dedicated podcast for Plus Size Travelers. You can find us at PlusSizeTravelerPodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram under Plus Size Traveler Podcast. My name is Adrian, and I'm in Los Angeles, California. When I'm not traveling, I'm a director of marketing at one of the movie studios here, and I'm a torrid size 1820 or a 2X. I travel every other month for work and or pleasure. I actually just got back from New Zealand a few weeks ago, and I'm off to New York in a couple weeks and also DC. You can find me at TravelingAdrian.com and on Instagram at TravelingAdrian. Hey everybody, it's Lauren. I'm still living here in Maui, Hawaii. I work at a local hotel for Expedia.com as an Expedia local expert. And I'm a torrid size 28 for reference or a 4 slash 5X. And you can find me and my blog at theplussizedglobetrotter.com. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at theplussizedglobetrotter. Tonight, we're doing episode number eight. And the highlighted destination tonight is going to be Boston, Massachusetts. We're on a domestic one, and we're really excited about it. I want to give a huge thanks to the Curvy Girls Travel Guide Facebook group. It's a woman-only, body-positive travel discussion group with over 8,000 members. Every episode, I do a post looking for our next guest co-host host and one of the members suggested we reach out to Boston native Rachel Estafa. We're excited to have her. So a little bit background of Rachel. She is the founder and CEO of More to Love Yoga. She is a certified Kripalu yoga instructor and transformational life coach, teacher and professional speaker in the field of plus size wellness. And she's been profiled in USA Today, Huffington Post, the Boston Globe, and so many other media outlets. Rachel, can you share your journey to starting More to Love Yoga? First of all, thank you so much for inviting me on here to talk about two things that I love, plus size health and wellness and Boston. My background, very typical of probably a lot of folks turning in. I grew up being a larger body, and for the vast majority of my youth and into my young and early adulthood, I was on the diet train where everything I ate, everything I did was always in the hope that I would become a better version of myself and appearance and, you know, the stuff that we are taught from a young age about how our bodies should be in the world. So I really was trying and also feeling like it just was not making me happy to try to change my body so much. So in my early 20s, I started to practice yoga. Admittedly, I did not like yoga when I first started because um, it was intimidating and there were spaces and classes that, you know, I was the largest body there. I was in the back of the room a lot, but I had always enjoyed movement and um, exercise. I was always active and it wasn't until I really started to unravel my body image beliefs that a bigger body is a bad body. That's not the truth. And I let yoga lead the way as to what it would feel like if I, you know, didn't focus so much on becoming a size whatever or a size smaller than I was. And that was wonderful. But there was this piece in me that was like, I know that I'm not alone in this. I know that there are other people with bodies like mine or experiences similar of not feeling, you know, that you fit in that want to try yoga. So I went to Kripalu, which is this really wonderful yoga school and also retreat center out in Western Massachusetts. So it wasn't too far from home, thankfully. And I spent um, a month there solid learning yoga. And when I came back to Boston right away, I started teaching more to love yoga classes. So folks for the past four years now have had thousands of members come through here in Boston. And also when people are 
coming through Boston, whether they're traveling or, or have followed on things online, they join for our, our classes and also some special events. So it's really been a, an amazing journey of health and wellness first for myself and then transforming this the landscape here in the Boston area and then hopefully wider around letting other body types and larger bodies understand that yoga can be something really exciting and something refreshing and feel good for you, no matter what your body size is. That is amazing. I've actually been looking for a plus size yoga class or studio here in Los Angeles, and I haven't been able to find any. And I have tried to do yoga on my own with a regular class. And there's some poses I can't do because I carry a lot of my weight in my stomach. So there's a lot of poses that were really uncomfortable for me. So I would just lay there in a comfortable position. And that's what the instructor would say. If you can't do certain positions, just relax. And that's what I did for half the class. That's really exciting that you're offering this and people of all sizes can enjoy yoga because I hear it's amazing. I wish you were here in Los Angeles. I created a suite of online mortal love yoga programs. And one of them is a little video. It's like 25 minutes long and it's called boobs, butts, and bellies, like how to make your yoga class comfortable. And I talk about that. I talk about how to make space for your stomach. It's not that we have to practice differently. It's just that there's different considerations. Um, and to also be able to touch our bodies, right. And to acknowledge that things aren't in the way, just making these subtle, really simple things can totally change how you feel not just in a yoga class, but in your body. The dial is definitely shifting with how yoga teachers understand the needs of larger bodies because we're tired of having to sit in the back or like feel like we can't do things. And it's definitely changing. Um, I'm excited that my work is helping that. I felt like I failed. I'm sitting in this mm. class. Why am I here? I just can't do all these things. So I'm waiting for that message to come out to Los Angeles and make it more accessible for plus size people here to enjoy yoga. In addition to the highlighted destination, we always talk about a plus size travel topic or essential item. In the past episodes, you'll probably remember we covered important topics such as airplane seats, plus size bathing suits, winter coats, travel friendly shoes, backpacks, and of course, the little black dress for traveling. In honor of our guest host, Rachel, today we're going to talk about plus size yoga, aka athletic pants and leggings. So Rachel, why are the right leggings important for yoga? Can you discuss a couple of your favorite brands with us this morning? I've had a lot of experience with athletic gear or workout gear. I grew up playing soccer and basketball, and I just remember always dreading that time when they would like be passing out the uniforms <laughs> because I'm like, this is not going to fit me. Feeling comfortable in clothing is so hard for larger bodies, myself included, but finding comfortable attire for when you want to like exercise or go for a walk is even harder because most leggings, you know, they're not made for bellies and mind or just like the sizes and the proportions of them. But when you feel comfortable in what you're wearing, your whole practice starts to feel different. I like that people are really interested in like the fashion aspect around active wear. It's just that there's not so much in the plus size world for that, although it is shifting. But for me, like I'm the type that I want to splurge on the leggings. Like those are where I can have my personality show. There's so many different styles and fabrics and patterns. And I want to share three amazing places that I have leggings from that have served me very well, meaning that like they don't slide down right? When you're working out, like the, the last thing you want is to feel like your pants are falling off. <laughs> so the first one that I personally love the most, I believe that they're still open, but it's a small um, New York based shop and it's called Personal Record and they exclusively 
design yoga pants size like 16 and up. So a lot of fun patterns. There's like six or seven really cool patterns. The fabric is very, very good too. Another one is called Lineage and they're very bright and vibrant. You probably have seen these. Their signature um, pair of leggings is like a peacock color with like peacock leaves and there's like a green and a blue and a pink variety of it. The fabric for those is a little more like a, like a wetsuit feeling. Like it's very like a wicking feeling, but the waistband goes really high up. And they also specialize in extended sizes as they, I think it might even go up to like 6X. And then the last place I want to give a, um, a shout out to is I didn't know about them until a few months ago, but it's called the Girlfriend Collective. And they design both leggings and like the crop tops. Um, they do all sizes, but they spend a lot of time and actually profile on their website, larger bodies in their leggings. And I love them. They're so comfortable. They're nice and soft. They're on the little, they're on the pricier side, but the colors and the quality are just beautiful. Well, what do you wear, Adrian, for yoga? Again, I don't yoga because I couldn't find a plus size friendly yoga class, but I am in Los Angeles and we like to wear athletic wear all the time. And I do on the weekends because for work, I have to dress up a bit. And so on the weekends, it's athletic yoga pants and t-shirts. And I travel in yoga pants because they provide compression. They're really comfortable. When you're on an airplane, you tend to swell. In other episodes, I said wear compression socks. So I look at yoga pants as compression pants. And then I put on compression socks so I'm not super puffy when I land. So that being said, from a fashion and just non-yoga perspective, yoga pants wear, I wear a lot of Torrid. And that is because a lot of Torrid ones are nerdy. So I have Star Wars ones, lots of Harry Potter ones. And I have a few Old Navy, but they are not my favorite. I'd say Torrid fits my body better. What about you, Lauren? Do you wear athletic pants or yoga pants? I do not. It's funny because, you know, I teach yoga and and doing that so often I actually don't like hanging out in my yoga pants when I'm not working <laughs> so I have like categories of, of relaxing wear um, I have a lot of you know things that when I come home I take off my yoga pants and then I put on like my we call them comfy cozies in my home but it, it is it is interesting how the mentality around what we wear and what we're doing like the purpose of stuff that the, comp- the compression aspect is a huge piece and, and all out of all the lines that I just mentioned personal record lineage and the girlfriend collective they all their pants have a, like a compressive feel to them which I think for larger bodies it just feels more snug people love that feeling leggings can be expensive I think my tour mm. ones are usually about 45 to 55 dollars and I know that you were mentioning some of the brands that you love are expensive but there is a reason because they're high quality and have compression I bought a pair of yellow leggings off Amazon for a Batman run I did a couple weekends ago however they had no compression you can kind of see all of my wiggles and bumps and all those things on my legs now I know why I spend money on yoga pants because these are ridiculous the upfront cost can be high the same with quality yoga mats but they've never ripped on me I've never I've not replaced them yet. Like I'm still going six or seven years strong on some of my leggings. (laughs) I think that's a good investment. All right. So our highlighted destination is Boston, Massachusetts. And the reason why we chose Boston, it's because it's steeped in American history. Boston was founded in 1630 by English Puritans escaping religious persecution. Boston had the first American public school and newspaper. And everybody knows about the Boston Tea Party, birthplace of Benjamin Franklin and Paul Revere. I think it's a really beautiful 
historic city. There's still some cobblestone streets in some of the areas. I've been a few times, once as a tourist, just doing all the tourist things. The other two times I was there for work, so I spent most of my time at the convention center and the North End. It reminds me of a smaller, very clean New York with really nice people. I have to go to New York at least once every quarter for work, and I dread it because the people are just so aggressive and it's so fast-paced. And that's coming from a Los Angeles person. You know, we're pretty fast-paced here too. But Boston, everybody I encountered all three times, they were just delightful. Now, Rachel, were you born in Boston? I was born in downtown Boston. Um, and then I grew up about 10 miles north of Boston. Basically, when Boston, it, it called the greater Boston area. And that's like a really wide circle. So <laughs> no matter if you're from like, like born in Boston proper, like the city, or maybe like 25 miles out, most everyone around here will call themselves a Bostonian. And I love to hear that you think our, that our city is friendly. I think so too, that it's not the common conception that the bad drivers, mean people, but that's just not the case. So public transportation was easy. I didn't feel scared. I refuse to take New York subways if I can mm. help it. I'm in love with Boston and any chance I get to go back, I will. It's a beautiful city. Lauren, how many times have you been to Boston? I've actually only been to Boston once. I had gone to Maine for a job interview and I had family in New Hampshire. So I just rented a car and drove from New Hampshire into Boston just for the day. I was maybe there only like 10 or 11 hours. All right, we're gonna start with, I'd say the most iconic thing in Boston and it's called the Freedom Trail. It's a two and a half mile long path through Boston passing 16 significant locations in US history. It's marked largely with brick, starts at Boston Common, which is the oldest public park in the United States, and ends at the Bunker Hill Monument in Charlestown. We won't talk about every stop, just the most iconic. And one of those is uh, going to be the Massachusetts State House. Um, it is the oldest continually running state capitol building in America. The dome is gilded with 23 karat gold, but originally it was made of wood. If any of you have seen the Martin Scorsese film, The Departed, that dome is the view from Matt Damon's character character's luxury penthouse. The state house is on top of what's called Beacon Hill. And Beacon Hill in the Boston area really is the epitome of like the two versions of Boston, like the rich upper class. Beacon Hill is the wealthy area, predominantly white, predominantly the English wealthy settlers stay there. The opposite side of that is like that working class immigrant based salt of the earth Boston where you get that like gritty Boston accent. So Boston has always felt like two cities in one, like two things going on at once. And I actually went to school right next door to where where the, the state house is. My university was right there. So my backyard <laughs> for so much of my life, walking up and down in front of that state house and seeing, you know, the circus of like media politicians and then living in, in that neighborhood just gives it such like a deep appreciation that honestly, as a Bostonian, I take for granted how much history and how embedded what went on in Boston is sort of like a blueprint for a lot of our American civil discourse that it is beautiful and they really take beautiful care of the grounds and the garden, the, um, the Boston public commons and gardens are right there too. No matter where you are in the city, there's some connection back to like Beacon Hill and the state house and the public spaces. So when I went as a tourist to Boston and I saw the Massachusetts state house, and this is before the departed, it was what I thought as someone who grew up in Los Angeles, what 
old America was. To me, everything you learned in elementary school about American history and our forefathers, that's what that looks like to me. When you go to Boston, it does feel like an old European city because that's how it was settled. So a lot of the roads just crisscross cobblestone brick um, and you'll have this fancy swanky new high rise building right next to a building that was built in like the early 1700s. And that's still in its like pristine condition because historical preservation is a humongous part of Boston. And Boston's very small. It's very walkable. You could easily walk from one end of the city to the other in probably an hour, but there's so much crammed in there that you've got that taste for, you know, oh my gosh, this is where, you know, Revolutionary War members met. And then you have like, you know, AMC Cineplex right next to it or like a mall. Boston really, really tries to preserve its place in history, but also makes it not feel like it's a dusty old city either. Well, speaking of your place in history, as you walk down the rest of the Freedom Trail, though the next stop you might make is the Granary Burial Ground. It's most famous because three signers of the Declaration of Independence, that includes um, Samuel Adams, not just a beer, of course, John <laughs> Hancock, and then Robert Treat Payne. They're buried there as well as Paul Revere, but I I definitely think without any morbidity, walking through this uh, graveyard and burial area is like Rachel is saying, it'll bring you back and suck you back into that time. And because we're such a infant country, like we're a very young country, this is our only history. This is where it began. So this is as far back as America goes. This Granary Burial Ground is a great place to uh, spend some time and take lots of pictures, just feel the history. Another area along the Freedom Trail is going to be perhaps a visit to the Old State House. You'll know this is the center of civic life in colonial Boston. Particularly, Declaration of Independence was read for the very first time in 1776 on the front balcony. It did, of course, incite a little mini riot. The walkway in front of the old state house is a monument where the five victims that were killed during the Boston Massacre are memorialized. So the Boston Massacre is known to the British as the incident on King Street. It was a confrontation that took place on March 5th in uh, 1770 in which British soldiers shot and killed several people while being harassed by a mob in Boston. So the old state house, again, another, you know, building tucked in what's now a shopping area, but they're really trying to turn it around a little bit. I actually, my first job out of college was the building next door to the old state house. And I worked in a, for a nonprofit that was devoted for civic engagement on like international issues. So we would partner with the State Department um, and bring people over from, you know, all over the world. And we would meet them in our offices, which were right across the street from the old state house from all over the world you know people come here and understand that this this location is highly significant in what would start America or the United States and again it's old and you I think it right in front of it believe it or not if we went down there today you would have half of it is now an entrance to one of the subway stops and the other half is this like this market vendor this flower vendor and like fresh produce that has been there forever the thing about boston is we always want you to feel like you can interact with the history probably one of the more famous stops along the freedom trail is going to be faneuil hall and it's known as the cradle of liberty building this building was uh, given to the city of boston by a very wealthy merchant named peter faneuil and it's famous for the meetings and the protests that uh, led to the american revolution taking 
taking place inside. I'm going to let Rachel talk about it because I don't remember a grasshopper. That's what I remember is very yummy beans when I think about Faneuil Hall. So Faneuil Hall, it's sort of two things in one. When you kind of mention Faneuil Hall, people think of the whole plaza, which incorporates the actual Faneuil Hall building. And then there's a marketplace right behind it. The main building that we're talking about, Faneuil Hall, today... It has seating, so a lot of public events happen in there, a lot of discourse, and it's, you know, again, an old building, and downstairs is usually some vendors, and then upstairs is the Great Hall, where so much discussion. And I believe, I mean, I may not have this correct, but a lot of people are trying now to to explore changing the name of Fanuel because it has a lot of racist undertones, the family line um, with slaves. So even today, with Boston, there's there's people that are saying, while this is like a, a really pivotal and anchoring spot in Boston, the history and the connection of the family that it's named after, do we really want that to happen? Because right behind Faneuil Hall is where I would say one of my favorite places to go in Boston, especially where I send all new folks traveling. It's called Quincy Marketplace, but the whole area in itself is called Faneuil Hall. But right behind it, Quincy Marketplace, it is just a long food court. Very rarely any like national change. It's all like mom and pop type of places. So you can get like your baked beans, you can get your clam chowder, you can get some amazing seafood, you can get cannolis, you can get cookies. And there's, I want to say probably maybe 150 vendors. Um, And then flanking Quincy Market is shops, Boston-based ones, but also some bigger brands that um, have come in. It's one of my favorite areas. I am a foodie, so the food hall was definitely on my list. I think I snacked a few places, but I made sure to save my very first Boston clam chowder for the next stop, and that's the Union Oyster House. Mm -hmm. And that is the oldest restaurant in the United States, and they have raw bars. You can tell when you go in there, it's old. I had the clam chowder. It wasn't the best clam chowder of my life, but I felt it was the most historic clam chowder of my life. What are your thoughts, (laughs) Rachel? I don't like creamy, warm-based food, so I I can't speak to it but really feels like a restaurant was just sort of crammed into this old building and it was so the reason why um, Boston buildings feel really old is that the the ceilings are very short because it's so cold in the winter so your houses would have to be closed off meaning like there would be some rooms that you just wouldn't go to in the winter time because it was too much to warm things up I grew up in an old house actually it was built in like the late 1800s it has low ceilings and just boxed off feelings because you can't be heated things when it's freezing but on the flip side it's very woody it smells old very cozy very warm I just learned something so when I went to the Union Oyster House I did notice how low the ceilings were and I just assumed that Americans were short back then (laughs) so I just learned something thank you Rachel now the trail takes you to the North End neighborhood and that's Boston's Little Italy again as a foodie this is one of my favorite neighborhoods and the last two times I was there I spent some time there can you talk a little bit about the area Rachel? Do Italians still live there? A little bit about me. My father is from Ireland, which a huge influence of Irish in Boston. And my mother is from Italy, huge influence of Italians in Boston. So the North End is the traditional Italian enclave of Boston. It kind of makes sense as to why would this little area get cloistered off. Today you can't see it, but there's there's something called the Greenway that runs between Boston. And it sort of splits where we were just talking about Faneuil Hall with the North End. Before that greenway existed, it was a big highway. So literally 
there were two parts of Boston. So the North End was where all the Italians came in. It was also by the also near the docks. It's also close to um, one of the like surrounding cities of Boston. Very, very, very old Italian families. So all the restaurants, by and large, in the North End are all tiny Italian shops. And believe it or not, recently, maybe like a year ago, they were trying to, the city wanted to put in a Starbucks um, another Starbucks or maybe maybe the first one in the North End. And the whole community rallied and said, no, we don't want to turn this area into more commercial because it is such like a rare area in the summertime through the fall, almost every single weekend um, because it's it's Italian. So there's like a very big Catholic community. There's some parade for a saint happening all the time, which really means that there's like food trucks everywhere and there's just food, food, food everywhere. While obviously the Italians are aging and, uh, you know, different um, influences of cultures and ethnicities are coming into Boston, it doesn't have the same impact, I guess, or that Italian feel that it had maybe like 20 or 30 years ago. If you're into pasta, if you're into Italian food, um, into gelato and cannolis, you have to make a trip there. I would agree. Now, on to probably one of the more visited spots, I would say, in Boston for a first-timer is definitely going to be the House of Paul Revere. And it is known as the oldest structure in Boston. Um, It's believed to have been built in 1680. And I, too, thought that Paul Revere and his family were itty-bitty when I went. So now I know that they weren't the shortest people that ever lived. It just meant that their house was cold. Paul Revere uh, lived at that house for 30-plus years. He's known to have been there from at least 1770 to 1800. And you can visit it. There's a museum now, so you can walk around the house and now know that uh, they weren't the shortest people ever. It's a very unassuming home when you turn the corner and kind of like, oh, here we are. And if I remember correctly, I think it's still painted as its original dark black. The temperature of things, the color of things, because our winters here are absolutely brutal. So you kind of understand and appreciate just how much early people before for had to just you know make their spaces work so right around the corner from the paul revere house is going to be the paul revere statue which you're definitely going to want to shoot a selfie with and it sits in the shadow of the church that has made him famous which is the old north church and now this is the oldest church building in boston there's no charge to get in and there's guides inside they'll actually give you a quick overview of the church and um, of paul revere's very famous midnight ride that uh, happened on on April 18, 1775, and actually resulted in the battle that started the American Revolution. And perhaps the final stop that you'll be making on the Freedom Trail as a visitor will be Bunker Hill Monument. And this monument was dedicated on June 17, 1843, which was 68 years after that famous battle took place. That completes the Freedom Trail. So next up is the famous Fenway Park. It's a baseball park at home to the Red Sox, and it opened in 1912. It's the oldest stadium and Major League Baseball and definitely, I'd say, the most famous. Lauren, did you go to Fenway? I didn't go inside, um, but I did walk around it. I wanted to see if I could see a little bit of the green monster. You know, I definitely have a little kinship with it because, of course, it's me and pop culture references constantly. And I'm just so in love with the book Fever Pitch as well as the movie. So as a non-sports fan, that's as close as I get to saying awe at a sports venue. Much like everything else in Boston, you sort of turn a corner and you're like, oh my gosh, here's this thing that's really important and historical, like tucked away and no one can see it. So you don't have to go 
to a game to enjoy the best parts about Fenway because the whole area around it, you can just take a walk around the park. It's not like a mega complex at all. It's literally tucked in a part of the city and it's all just that green color, the green monster. If you really wanted to see the green wall and to sort of get like a really good view of the city, if you go to the top of the Hancock building, there's a sky deck. And you can take a 360 view of the whole city. I definitely suggest you take a harbor cruise in Boston. And I think there's multiple carriers that you can jump on. And then if you have kiddos, take them to the Boston Tea Party ships and museum. I think it's definitely geared towards the kids. So by and large, the whole waterfront in Boston is designed to be walkable. All the way from the Bunker Hill Monument, all the way down through the outside of Faneuil Hall, North End, along the waterfront where the harbor... Uh, cruises come in and out you can also go to the aquarium and they have outdoor tanks for seals and like penguins and stuff so you can like get a lot of this without having to go into the places but the terminals that bring you to the boston harbor islands you can go to some of the islands also like you can do a day trip to some of them and it really is designed for you to just explore i feel like boston's one of those cities where you can get a whole experience without dropping a lot of money i would say out of all the cities i've traveled a fair bit boston is by far the most friendly to just wander around and get the vibe of the city without having to like drop you know 100 bucks on something i would agree with that next up is the samuel adams brewery tour i'm actually not a beer drinker but samuel adams was the hipster fancy beer before all the hipster fancy beer and breweries popped up in the last 10 years i think it's free but a suggested donation is two dollars and they walk you through the brewery process and then you get to try all these different beers at the end and there was like no limit i love that do <laughs> Local people do that or is it just tourists? It's a local thing. I've actually never been only because when I was supposed to go and my plans would just mess up. People love it. I just wanted to let everybody out there know that I agree. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. And that uh, taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Uh, which is why, for me, my very favorite part of going to Boston, be darned to the history was all about pop culture and of course one of my very very favorite shows growing up which is of course cheers i am not the foodie that adrian is you'll notice i always take a back seat during our food ventures so yes my meal in boston was at the cheers bar it's awesome if you're a fan of the show i would definitely recommend going just kind of live relive the nostalgia i appreciate what they did i know that it's not for everybody and i know that it's kind of what the bubba gums restaurant is to Ma uh, to hawaii right now could be a little cheesy probably the food could be a little bit better but it's still a heck of a lot of fun always hearing that song still makes me cry to this Aww. day so my favorite part of going to boston for sure the original cheers restaurant is about a block from the state house the original cheers is not what it looks like in the show i think in the in the in the show they um had it slightly different but the entrance walking down is they also have a replica of the cheers from the television show back quincy market i think it's still there the town of salem is about 20 miles out of Boston. And of course, it's known for the Salem witch trials um, that took place in the late 1600s. They were a very dark time in American history. Over 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft. 20 were killed during the hysteria. I personally hadn't been to Salem, but um, I'm going to leave this portion to both Adrian and Rachel. Rachel, I wanted to first see if you could talk a little bit about Halloween time in Salem. So anyone that is from the area, you basically are like, don't go to Salem because it truly is insane from the first 
moment fall is in the area until like a week after Halloween. Salem is one of my favorite places here in the Boston area. And I love Boston so much. But like if if I was going to move to another area in the area, it would be Salem. And the reason why is totally embraces its like woo-woo witchiness. So you can definitely have that if you're into witches and the graveyard tours and the spookiness around Halloween. There's no other place probably in the world all year round, not just for Halloween. The other part of Salem, again, it's an old, old city by the ocean and there's beautiful museums. There's beautiful waterfronts, a lot of unique shops, like very local things. One particular place that I fell in love with recently, it's called the House Witch and it's this little shop in downtown Salem and it's all about house decor. They're witches that run it, like young feminist, empowered, very empowered, body positive women. They're friends of mine. So you can kind of bring like the essence of what Boston and also the witch trials and the history of that into your own life. Very easy to get to from Boston. You can take a ferry, which is beautiful. It cuts up along the coast. So if it's a nice day and the water isn't too crazy, like it's it takes like maybe 45 minutes. It's beautiful. You can also take public transportation there. Salem is small. It's downtown is super walkable. Most of the most of the activity is sort of kept into like the downtown business district. Nathaniel Hawthorne is from Salem. The House of the Seven Gables is from there. The Witch Museum. So like big people in American history have come from Salem and it's still a, it's a very fun place. It really is. I actually am obsessed with Harry Potter. I want to go to this place that's like witches all the time. I really enjoyed Salem. I'm glad I took that day trip there. Now let's transition to my favorite portion of the podcast and that is our food venture portion and that is trying the regional specialty foods of the places <laughs> that you're visiting some of my favorites in boston is clam chowder boston is known for its seafood i tried a lot of different chowder my husband doesn't eat a lot of seafood so when i go to a place that has seafood i go over the top so i think i tried like eight different clam chowders legal seafood was my favorite but my favorite lobster roll was from neptune oyster i spent a lot of time in the north end because there's a lot of delicious food in the north end mike's pastries cannolis I found to be my favorite. Rachel, what is the most famous place to have a Boston cream pie or what is your favorite place? I love Boston cream pie. Like it's my favorite. My mom makes them for me. I would say that the Omni Parker House, um, which is a hotel across the street from the state house, has a really good Boston cream pie. I think they like serve it at like all of the presidential inaugurations or something. There is one thing that I don't think anyone would even know unless you talk to a Bostonian around what you should eat here. And this is a North Shore thing. So just as reference, Boston is smack in the middle of the coastline of, of Massachusetts. So above above Boston, it's called the North Shore. And then below Boston's the South Shore. And the South Shore also um, sometimes incorporates Cape Cod. But North and South Shore have very different styles and what they like love for food. The North Shore, if you're really into roast beef sandwiches, the North Shore. Any kind of fried food, any kind of seafood, you're going to get that on both shores. But a North Shore treat you can get in Salem for sure is like a good New England or Boston style roast beef sandwich. Lauren, what's your favorite things to eat there? I don't think you're going to like my answer. I had breakfast at Starbucks and lunch at Cheers. So that's pretty much all I could say. Although my family, they're from upstate New York. They have been making Boston baked beans. They have their own like, bean pots that they've been using for like practically a hundred years. So I grew up eating Boston baked beans, but I didn't go anywhere special, sadly. If you want to like dabble in the best of food in the Boston area, going to the um, the Quincy Market behind Faneuil Hall will 
definitely check all of the boxes because it's got the cannolis, it's got the food, it's got the sandwiches, the chowder, the this, everything. And if you only could go to one spot, I would say that one would be the best. So I just wanted to thank everybody for listening today. This is the end of our Boston slash yoga clothing episode that we were very happy to have Rachel as a guest host on. Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us this morning. Why don't you tell me where listeners can find you? So the best place to start is on moretoloveyoga.com. And when you come to my website, you can download a free yoga video that I made. Maybe you want to try yoga for the first time, or maybe you want to see what it's like to practice with a body positive or body love approach to yoga. And you can do that. And then um, all the links to my social media, Instagram, our lively Facebook page is all on there. I love to hear from people. So if you have questions, specific ones about yoga, wellness, resources, please send them because not only do I answer them, I usually post the question out to the whole community because more people can share their resources. And it's just, it's it's always good to know that like your question is probably the same question that so many other people have. And it helps me make content and yoga classes and programs that actually reflect what folks want to experience. And if you are in Boston, I would love to have you join our classes or events. You can check out the schedule. But if you aren't in Boston, I have a whole online program called Homebody, which takes you through learning yoga from how do I do this in my house? Like, what do I need to get set up props wise, space wise, all the way down to what do I do when I need to just chill out with yoga? So I, I take it the whole scope of how to make yoga work for your life and your body in the comfort of your home. I love it. Just know you can listen to the Plus Size Traveler podcast at plussizetravelerpodcast.com, Amazon and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Plus Size Traveler podcast. Next episode is going to be back to the international side of it. And we are going to be talking about Greece, specifically Athens, Santorini, and perhaps a couple of other of the Greek islands, maybe a little bit of the mainland as well. So in the meantime, get out there and explore, fellow Plus Size Travelers. Okay, before we close, we need to have Rachel, in her best Boston accent, give us a farewell in Bostonian slang. Once we get out of here, we're going to have it square and we can park over in the yard there. I love it. Thank you Yay. so much, everyone.